you want to approach your birth feeling cool, calm and confident, then you are in the right place. Welcome to HypnoWhat. I'm your host Claire, a doula and hypnobirthing teacher from Edinburgh and I'm here to help you look forward to birth. So let's get going. Hello, hello. Welcome to episode three. Today we are going to be talking all about hormones, well specifically five of the hormones that are important in labour and birth. And I I really love this bit. It's my favourite lesson to teach in my group hypnobirthing course. Along with understanding about the muscles of your uterus and, and how they work to facilitate birth, I think knowing about how your hormones work really makes it all click together. Um, and hopefully today's episode will highlight for you again just how important the brain's role in birth really is. So in a nutshell, your hormones are the complete toolkit for birth. Everything that we consider about birth should be linked back to the functioning of your uterine muscles and the production of your birth hormones. We want your muscles to be working as best as they can and we want your hormones to be beautifully balanced. And the big guys that we're going to focus on today are oxytocin, endorphins and adrenaline. And we're going to touch on a couple of the backing singers as well. So that's hormones with important jobs but a little bit less in the spotlight and we're going to be looking at melatonin and prostaglandins for that. But before we get on to those five hormones I thought we'd just start by talking about what hormones are because I think when you're socialized as female we're kind of led to believe that our hormones make us moody bitches that being hormonal is a bad thing that we associate it with PMS which again is seen as a bad thing and hormones are chemical messengers they are our body's way of communicating with itself and making things happen. They're not good, they're not bad, they just are. It's our perception of them and our beliefs about the behaviours that they cause or inhibit that make us think that they are either positive or negative. So in terms of the menstrual cycle, yes, towards the end of each cycle, just before your period comes, you might find yourself frustrated easily, wanting to be alone, but that doesn't mean you're being a bitch and it doesn't it's not inherently a bad thing what happens is that your body is running seriously low on estrogen and that's our people pleasing hormone it makes us feel social it makes us want to do things and see people instead towards the end of your cycle it's progesterone that's running the show and progesterone is the hormone that makes us want to retreat inwards That lack of oestrogen can also mean that we just have less time for people not treating us the way that we want to be treated. Um, And again, that's not always a bad thing. Oestrogen can can mean that we're more likely to want to go with the flow rather than thinking about ourselves and what we want and what we need. And progesterone also shows up in pregnancy. This is the hormone that stops your uterus from contracting and it rises throughout pregnancy peaking at around week 32 and as your body gets ready for the onset of labour one of the changes that allows labour to begin is the decline of progesterone alongside increasing oxytocin levels 
and that allows the uterine muscles to begin contracting. Now, the behaviours associated with progesterone are seen as a positive in pregnancy. We call it nesting. It's seen as a lovely thing. You're getting ready for baby arriving and the tendency to focus more inward, that can also be seen as a positive and something that you are doing to support yourself, like taking time to rest and reflect before the experience of birth. However, in the menstrual cycle, these same behaviours are often viewed through a very negative lens. And I think, you know, if it became more normal to acknowledge these cyclical changes and support ourselves through them, give ourselves space to rest and focus on our own needs, be a little bit selfish. Again, something that's got a lot of negative connotations. But sometimes you've got to put your own oxygen mask on first. You know, all these sayings like you can't pour from an empty cup. It's true. Um, From my own personal experience, since I began to recognise and appreciate why I might feel a particular way at the different points in my cycle and embrace those feelings instead of trying to fight against them, I've had a much more positive experience of my cycle. Obviously, it's not always possible to tailor your life based on when your period is coming. But understanding and appreciating the changes that your body and mind might be going through just allows you to think about how you can support yourself and be a little bit kinder to yourself as well. Because thinking, ugh, my period's due, I'm a total bitch, that doesn't really help you. Um, If this is something that interests you, then please check out the word, word? Work. of Maisie Hill. She is a menstrual health expert and explains beautifully how and why the different stages of your cycle can affect your day-to-day life, as well as how to support yourself in these different stages. Maisie Hill's book Period Power was on the recommended reading list when I did my hypnobirthing training with the Birth Uprising and I can honestly say it changed my life. Um, I really, really hope that by the time my little girl is in school, that sex education is going to include a big chunk around understanding the menstrual cycle in this way. It's it's really been amazing for me. Well, that was a bit bit of a, often a bit of a tangent. I'm from Paisley, which is just outside of Glasgow and West Coast Scots, we can talk and we love a story and a tangent. So anyway, let's get back to birth hormones. So we're going to kick off by talking about oxytocin. That's the love hormone, the shy hormone. It's produced by the absolute bucket load when we orgasm, but also when we cuddle, when we kiss. If something triggers happy memories, makes you smile, gives you that warm, tingly feeling in your tummy, that's oxytocin doing the work. And describing it as the shy hormone should give you an idea about the kind of environment that it likes. Likes privacy doesn't like to feel observed and it doesn't like interruptions. Much like the kind of environment most of us enjoy having sex in. And I want you to just always be relating this back to your birth environment. Oxytocin is the most important hormone for progressing birth. So think about things that you can do to support your body's production of it, to make your environment feel familiar, intimate and safe. So what does oxytocin actually do? Its number one job 
is to make your contractions happen. Um, obviously, that's pretty crucial for birth. But it does have some other really great um, jobs as well. So it plays a role in facilitating bonding between you and your baby. There is a massive spike of oxytocin after your baby is born. And this is nature's way of trying to force you to bond with your baby. And this spike after birth can also really help you to feel calm, positive, full of love. Some people will have an enormous urge to cry. That was me. I was absolutely wailing, crunching this tiny scrunchy girl onto my chest. And oxytocin also tells your breast or chest tissue that baby is out and to ramp up the milk production as well as stimulating the release of milk. And another really cool thing that oxytocin does is that the ebb and flow of oxytocin through your body corresponds with the production of endorphins and these two hormones rise together throughout labour before peaking at birth. And this is just another brilliant example of how clever our bodies are. So as our brains produce more and more oxytocin, causing contractions to come out, become stronger and more regular, what is what your body is doing alongside that is it's releasing endorphins, which are our body's natural pain relief, so that as oxytocin rises, endorphins rise as well so that our bodies are more able to cope with the increasing intensity of labour, which I just think is amazing. And I thought I'd just touch quickly on something which you may or may not have heard of before, which is synthetic oxytocin. And sometimes this is just referred to as the hormone drip. And this can be used as a type of induction, but it can also be used to augment labour. So, for example, if your contractions stall or slow, you might be offered this intravenous oxytocin. This synthetic version of oxytocin is called syntocinon or pitocin if you're in America. And lots of people say that syntocinon is completely different to oxytocin, but that's actually not true. On a molecular level, they are exactly the same. The difference is that our bodies don't recognise the synthetic version in the same way. So our homegrown oxytocin is produced in the brain. And so the brain knows that it's being released and can make all the lovely side effects of oxytocin happen. Synthetic oxytocin is administered by IV, so it goes straight into your bloodstream. And the brain is very selective about what it lets in. So synthetic oxytocin cannot cross the blood-brain barrier, meaning that as far as our brain is concerned, that oxytocin isn't there. Being in the bloodstream though, syntocinon can head straight to the uterus and do oxytocin's number one job, which is causing the contraction of your uterus. But it's just important to bear in mind that this doesn't come with the added benefits that happen in the brain, like the corresponding rise of endorphins and the positive impact on our emotional state. And hopefully from what I'm saying, you're getting the idea that we want to encourage as much natural oxytocin production as we possibly can. And this is just as crucial for cesarean birth and induction of labour because your body won't be making oxytocin as part of the physiological birth process. And there's loads that we can do to encourage its production. And this is something that should be on the forefront of your birth partner's mind at all times. So Physical contact is a really good way to boost oxytocin production and that could be 
a massage, kissing, cuddling, hand-holding, back-stroking. Nipple stimulation is really good for boosting oxytocin. And this is actually something that people often do instinctively by themselves. Laughter, eating food that you love, listening to music that you love. Um, all of these things can be really emotive and bring you little rushes of oxytocin. And it's also really important to bear in mind how we can protect our oxytocin production. And a big thing to think about is interruptions. I quite often suggest to clients that they put a sign on their door that just says, knock before entering. Whether you're in a birth centre, in the labour ward or at home as well. And what that just means is that your birth partner can go out and see what's going on or you can invite whoever it is at the door in. A knock is obviously still an interruption but it's less of a shock to your environment than somebody just waltzing in or somebody knocking and coming in without waiting for a response. It might also just deter unnecessary visits meaning that you're less disturbed and can just get on with getting into the zone of labour land. I also think it's a really good idea to work out what comforts you think might be beneficial for you during pregnancy and work with your birth partner to build a toolkit that they can be in charge of during labour. So this kit might include things like your favourite snuggly blanket from home, pictures of your family, a speaker, an iPad with birth playlists and maybe funny films or podcasts downloaded. If something helps you to feel relaxed and happy, then get it in this kit. And remember, your birth partner knows you better than anyone. They know what you like. You'll have planned for this day together. Birth partners are in charge of making sure that the oxytocin is flowing and ensuring that you feel loved and safe and comfortable so that you can just get on with birthing your baby. The next major player in the hormone game that we're going to talk about is endorphins. So endorphins are nature's incredible pain relief. They are estimated to work at about 40 times the potency of morphine in the human body. And in lab tests, they've been shown to be over 200 times stronger. So endorphins are a big deal. An endorphin is actually a shortening of endogenous morphine. And that's morphine that we make ourselves. So not only do endorphins work to counteract any discomfort that you might be feeling during labour, but they can also help us to feel calm and in control. They can really make us feel focused and they play a huge part in people experiencing the sensation of going inward. So you've maybe heard people talk about labour land. That's a state of mind where your experience of time is distorted. You maybe have a lack of awareness of your surroundings or the people around you. And this is in part a result of endorphins flooding your body. And it's a natural way of coping with the experience of birth. You're probably thinking, yes, that sounds great. How can I get more endorphins? Well, they actually rise and fall together with oxytocin. So anything that you're doing to produce oxytocin is in turn helping your body to produce more endorphins. So get the lights off, have a laugh, have a cuddle, 
light exercise can also help as well. So that instruction of go for a walk is actually quite good advice. But I am a massive advocate of just listening to your body. So if you feel like resting, do not force yourself to go out for a walk as this might just end up stressing you out and have the opposite effect to what we're looking for. And so now we come to the third major player in the birth hormone game and that's adrenaline. And this is one that for the most part we really don't want to encourage much of at all. And that's because adrenaline and oxytocin are antagonistic to one another, meaning that if our body's focusing on producing one, then they are not working to produce the other. So until we reach the transition stage of labour, where adrenaline has a really positive purpose, we want to keep it at bay as much as possible. And that's because what adrenaline does is it heightens our senses, makes it difficult to relax, and so entering something like labour land would be pretty unlikely. It also stops the production of oxytocin and that's going to slow or stall your contractions. It increases your breathing rate and your heart rate. It dries up your mouth, and makes you sweat and this can dehydrate us. Again, not good for muscle function. We really want our big, powerful uterine muscles working as best as they possibly can. And it also diverts blood flow away from the uterus. This reduces the oxygen supply to the uterine muscles and can make your contractions more physically challenging as the muscles struggle to work. In episode two, we talked a bit about the fear, tension, pain cycle. And being afraid um, ramps up our adrenaline production. So the less afraid we are, the more likely we are to be able to just relax and let our bodies work. However, there are some things that can cause your adrenaline to spike irrespective of your mindset and those are bright lights, being interrupted, feeling observed, shift change in hospital can sometimes trigger this as well and if you just notice those are the exact things that oxytocin hates. Travel is another one that is really important to bear in mind because the majority of people giving birth will be traveling to their birth space. And actually, adrenaline's doing a bit of a good job here if we can keep it under control. So if you need to jump in the car to move from home to either the hospital or the birth centre, then that change in environment can quite often send a signal like, whoa, hang on a minute, we're moving, now is not the time for baby. And so your brain releases this shot of adrenaline to slow things down. And I think understanding that is really important because... If you feel stressed about things slowing down in the car and then arrive at the hospital feeling stressed that things have slowed down, you don't know why, then you're likely to just continue producing more and more adrenaline and less and less oxytocin. And that's just going to make it more likely that things are going to stay slow. But if you understand that this might happen, then you can be kinder to yourself, reassure yourself that this is normal and work on switching that stress response off And this is just as important for your birth partner to be aware of so that they can reassure you, so that they can support you. A really good way to kind of counteract this response to moving to hospital or your birth centre is to have a plan for the journey. Maybe have a few dry runs in late pregnancy. But yeah, have a plan for how you're going to spend the 15 minutes, half an hour, an hour, Think about what that's going to look like. 
what are you going to listen to? Is it going to be your favourite songs? Is it going to be something funny? Are you going to be looking through a photo album? Some people really like to use an eye mask or a blindfold to help them tune out the world and try to keep themselves in their own little labour land world. And if things do slow down, try to appreciate that this is your body keeping you safe. Realise that this doesn't mean that things are stopped forever. And when you get to hospital, take yourself off to a deserted corridor or stairwell when you get there and get back in tune with yourself. Focus on your breathing and tell your body that you are in a safe place. Now, let's talk about transition. And this is where adrenaline gets good. So transition is a small stage between active labour So that's when your cervix is still dilating. And the second stage of labour, which is pushing and birthing baby. Now, once your cervix is fully dilated and the muscles switch or transition (laughs) from opening to pushing, your body releases a surge of adrenaline. And what this does is it can wake you up if you've been totally focused inwards, makes you alert so that you're able to care for your baby, who at this point is very nearly here, as well as a surge of energy for pushing. And all of this helps to prepare you for the final effort of labour before you meet your baby. What this adrenaline can also do, though, is make you feel frightened, especially if you've been totally off in labour land, to suddenly feel your attention pulled into the room, very aware of the people around about you. Some people also feel at this point that they just can't do it anymore. So it's really crucial for your birth partner to be aware that this can happen so that they are able to reassure you and that they don't get stressed out as well. And of course, your midwife will be aware of this and be trying to do exactly that, but there is no one better placed to comfort reassure and support you than the person that you have trusted enough to ask to be your birth partner. So now we're on to the backing singers and we're going to start with prostaglandins and these are hormones which soften and help to dilate your cervix and they're thought to be one of the key components of labour starting though that exact dance of labour beginning is still one of life's mysteries. During pregnancy and when you're not pregnant, your cervix feels a bit like the tip of your nose. And as your body prepares to give birth, it softens to feel more like your lips and then begins to thin right down. And these changes are part of a pretty complex process with lots of different factors. And two of those factors are the hormones prostaglandins and relaxin. And they work together to soften and thin the cervix by breaking down the collagen in it which keeps it firm and closed. Unlike most hormones, which are produced by glands and then transported around the body in the bloodstream, prostaglandins are produced at the site where they are needed. And this is the theory behind a membrane sweep. So a membrane sweep is where a midwife would use their fingers to stimulate your cervix and to separate it from the membranes that are surrounding baby. And this can trigger the release of prostaglandins and may encourage the onset of labour. A Cochrane review in 2020 stated that the evidence for this was of pretty low certainty. So that's just something to bear in mind as here in the UK, everyone is now offered a sweep from 39 weeks. Synthetic 
prostaglandins are also used in induction and we're going to look at that in a future episode. You have probably heard of sex being touted as a natural induction method. Orgasm produces bucket loads of oxytocin like we talked about earlier. Uh, So that's one of the reasons for that. A note to all partners of pregnant folks, it's got to be good sex for the pregnant person, okay? (laughs) And another, so another reason for this is that semen contains prostaglandins. So having penetrative sex without barrier contraception, like condoms, that can help to bring on labour. But it's kind of impossible to know. So if you feel up for it, then crack on. But don't feel like it's a sure thing and that you should force yourself to do it to try and get baby out. The best thing that we can do to help our bodies get ready for birth is to relax and let them just do their thing. It's definitely worth mentioning here that if your waters have broken, it's not recommended that you have penetrative sex as there's an increased risk of infection. So again, just bear that in mind. And to round off our hormones today, we're going to talk about melatonin. And this always gets people looking a bit confused because they're like, what? The sleepy hormone? Yes, the sleepy hormone has a role to play in birth. So melatonin is produced when it's dark or when the sun goes down to trigger our bodies to feel sleepy and to head for bed. And in birth, melatonin's job is to boost oxytocin. So it aids your contractions. And as melatonin thrives in the dark and in privacy, that is why so many labours kick off at night or why they ramp up in, in the nighttime hours. It's also why it's highly unlikely that everything's going to kick off for you in Tesco. So you really don't need to worry about that too much. But the fact that melatonin plays a role is just another reason to turn off the lights, draw the curtains and just settle down. Avoiding screens if you can as well is a good good idea. Uh, So leave any contacting that needs to be done to your partner. If you're using an app to track your contractions, again, this could be a job for your birth partner, meaning that you can avoid that blue light that melatonin really hates. And as we come to the end of today's episode, I wanted to just read you a little excerpt from Sarah Wickham's book, In Your Own Time. It's an absolutely brilliant book, all about the increasing rate of induction of labour and the disassociation from the physiology of labour. I recommend this book to pretty much everyone that I work with. It's absolutely brilliant. And this little chunk that I'm going to read for you really highlights how the maternity service often forgets that the way people in labour feel is a really key factor in the unfolding of their labour. So here we go. If a woman's labour stops when she enters hospital, the logical conclusion from a woman-centred approach is to consider that perhaps the woman does not feel safe and that a change of environment is required. Or perhaps they need a different caregiver, more support, more privacy. But what will often happen in modern maternity care is that they are told that their body is failing to labour adequately and often subjected to interventions to make their bodies behave in the way that's expected of them, according to the mathematical principles that the medical model often expects nature to follow. It is simply not true that we can separate out our mind, body and spirit, whatever spirit means to you, from our wider environment. The production of hormones which drive the physiological process of childbirth are profoundly linked with the mind and our nervous system. So 
that little chunk there from Sarah Wickham's book, I want you to lodge that in your mind. I want you to discuss it with your birth partner. Make a note of it somewhere that if your labour slows or stalls at any point in the early stages at home, after labouring for a few hours in hospital or even when you're preparing to birth your placenta, instead of questioning your body, instead of questioning your own abilities, instead of questioning yourself, question your environment. Has something changed to make you feel unsafe or less comfortable? Could you be warmer? Could the lights be dimmed? Have your midwives just swapped around? All of these things could be affecting how safe your body feels and feeling unsafe can impact your labour by halting the production of oxytocin. So making sure that we feel as safe as possible is a really important factor to bear in mind. And I think we'll leave it there for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm about to jump into a lovely lavender salt bath. I did some yoga with my three-year-old yesterday and I'm embarrassed to say that my hamstrings are absolutely goosed. So that's where I'm going to be for the rest of the evening. I really hope that you've enjoyed listening to this episode. I could go on and on when it comes to hormones. So thank you for letting me. I really would love to know if you found the episode useful. Um, I hope you've learned a thing or two about the incredible design of our bodies, the amazing way that we are designed to birth our babies. It's so cool. Uh, The next episode I'm going to be exploring with you is on the nervous system. We are going to be talking about the different activations and stress responses and how all of that impacts on the unfolding of birth more amazing information about our bodies that I just do not understand why we didn't learn more about it in school. Anyway, I will see you next time. Bye! Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Hypno What podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to make sure you don't miss an episode and you can find out more about what I'm up to by heading to birthingparentsclub.com. See you next time.